0: Welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Rachel Davis, a 2022 game changer for her social impact as a human rights advocate. I was moved by the far-reaching impact of her work in developing the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. If you were, let's say, speaking to a high school audience, how would you describe what you do and what your day-to-day looks like?
1: So for the last 15 years, I've worked to get business to take risks to people as seriously as business takes risk to the business itself. Um, What that means is encouraging business not just to look at philanthropy and how it might spend its money on good social causes or or good human rights programs, but actually looking at how business makes its money, uh, what its global operations and value chains mean for impacts on people. Um, That could be workers uh, in the company itself or in its supply chain making uh, parts that go into its products. Um, It could also be consumers uh, who use or uh, uh, otherwise rely on what it comes up with. Um, But in all cases, it's about how business uh, impacts on people on their human rights on a daily basis. So I've been uh, involved for, uh, as I said, a number of years now, uh, part of a team that was led by the late Professor John Ruggie of Harvard Kennedy School to develop what is now the global authoritative standard on how business should respect human rights. That's called the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. Um, And they brought together business, government, and civil society to really agree on a shared set of expectations about what business should do with regards to its impacts on people. Um, And for the last decade, we've worked to put those into practice.
0: So on a day-to-day basis, What might that look like, recognising that every day's got to be very different and there's wide-reaching things that you do with that remit, but what does your day-to-day, might it look like?
1: So I'm a co-founder and part of the leadership team of a non-profit organisation called Shift. Shift is headquartered in New York, uh, but I'm based here in Australia, Uh, so on a daily basis or maybe a nightly basis... Um, I'm involved in conversations all around the world with individual companies, with sports bodies like FIFA and the International Olympic Committee, with governments that are looking to put this into um, legislation, uh, with civil society stakeholders, NGOs and trade unions about how to really drive this global standard, the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights into the practice of what businesses do everywhere.
0: And if we look at one of those examples, let's say the FIFA um, Women's World Cup in 2023, what are some of the human rights risks that you're encouraging and you're you're looking to businesses and those organisations to think about?
1: So for four years, I was the chair of the Independent Advisory Board on Human Rights to FIFA. And in that time, we looked at a huge range of issues uh, from um, allowing uh, women in Iran to access stadia freely uh, to looking at anti-LGBTQ laws in Russia uh, to looking at the rights of migrant workers in Qatar for the upcoming FIFA World Cup. Um, And on all of these issues, we were providing recommendations on how FIFA should act to take human rights more seriously uh, across its operations and uh, and its business. When it comes to um, the FIFA Women's World Cup here in Australia and New Zealand, uh, I've been part of an expert human rights assessment led by the two human rights institutions uh, of Australia and New Zealand, looking at a range of risks uh, that like any tournament anywhere in the world, doesn't matter what country, uh, you could be involved with. Um, And here in Australia, a number of the predictable issues are certainly uh, about how uh, Indigenous rights are going to be respected uh, and protected, uh, whether that's intellectual property rights um, or uh, cultural heritage in the places where tournaments are being played or other forms of uh, engagement and inclusion and respect for um, Indigenous heritage and rights in Australia and New Zealand, Maori rights in New Zealand. Uh, But the other major issue, of course, is um, women's rights. And the increasing uh, cases of harassment that we know about in all sports globally, um, but in, including in soccer, uh, and how they how those kinds of issues will be treated and handled both during the tournament itself, but also um, in cases that may come to attention during the tournament but aren't connected uh, to the actual games here, but that women in some of the teams competing in the tournament have experienced back in their home countries. There are also predictable supply chain risks about how products and um, uh, other kinds of branded merchandise are manufactured for the tournament, but that kind of risk um, exists for for most tournaments. What we're looking at in every case is to try to find out what's specific about this one, what what should we be most worried about here.
0: When you're working in this space that has so many possible aspects of the, the risk that you're looking to address, you're in many ways you've got a preventative role and you're trying to identify them in advance of the um, occasion when people are coming together what what do you see can you share with us some of the highlights so when you saw something happen or not happen and you said I did that what where's something where's some of the moments when you've said that was That was our work that got that there. If you could just bring to life some of the um, some of the wins that you can really you really feel proud about.
1: So when I was chairing the FIFA Board, one of the cases that we were involved in, uh, in providing recommendations to FIFA on was the situation of Hakim al who, of course, is now um, a proud Australian, but at the time was a refugee soccer player from Bahrain living here in Australia, and he was wrongfully detained in Thailand. Um, and our role as the advisory board, working with a coalition of other actors, so there were people who were uh, his legal advisors, people who were out there in the community championing his cause, um, many other football players who came together in support of him, uh, NGOs and, and others. But our role as the FIFA advisory board was to get FIFA to use its leverage publicly, but also privately behind the scenes uh, to go to Thailand, to actually attend the hearings, to uh, to engage with the government and to engage with other um, stakeholders in the football family to do what it could uh, to try to get the political uh, situation addressed. And it followed the recommendations we made. Um, and seeing the result of a situation like that where Hakim was freed, uh, he's now back in Australia living his life as he should Um, These are the kinds of situations where you know that together with many others, and I think that's always the nature of human rights work, it's no one person uh, that achieves an outcome like that, it's always a, a coalition of actors working together around a shared set of expectations and demands. And that's really what I've been part of over the last 15 years, that with the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, that's now the shared set of expectations. And so you get these coalitions emerging, whether it's around migrant workers' rights in relation to the World Cup in Kappa, or around what we expect uh, here in Australia for the Women's World Cup or around what individual companies and businesses should be doing um, about cases that come up in their value chains as well, issues of modern slavery, for example, that you see all these different stakeholders using this same set of expectations to demand a better outcome, or to work together even better for a better outcome for the individuals whose rights are affected in that case.
0: That's a fantastic example, and really brings to life the coalition work that you you need to be part of to make to be effective. Um, was this always your goal, and how did you how did you land on human rights, and how did you fall into this space of? Um, being being part of driving this change at a very systematic systems um, level uh, versus working on a case by case basis?
1: So I always knew that I wanted to contribute uh, to meaningful social change. And that's why I chose to study law at the University of New South Wales, which has a strong social justice focus. Uh, And I had thought that I would study overseas, come back to Australia, become a barrister, work on these issues here. Um, But it was while I was uh, studying in the U.S. that I met Professor John Ruggie, who uh, had been appointed by the former Secretary General of the United Nations, to work on this question of what should businesses' responsibility be for human rights impacts? Um, And that was a question that basically had divided governments, it had divided business and civil society in the U.N. system. There was no agreement. Uh, Nobody could see the way forward. And... Doing some work on that, starting to be part of his team, becoming a legal advisor and seeing the potential uh, to find a way forward that could bring people together around a shared set of expectations um, that could actually lead to better human rights outcomes on the ground in many, many cases but which needed to be established at an international level, literally at the UN level, uh, in order to then um, really transform and and, and cascade into practice in lots of different jurisdictions. That was a really appealing prospect. Um, And that was more than 17 years ago now. and, And I haven't looked back. Um, But I think what matters about this work is that translation. It's the application into what does this mean in a specific jurisdiction in Australia uh, at EU level where they're working and will probably adopt a law uh, that will translate the guiding principles into EU corporate law in the first half of next year. Um, Also, what does it mean in specific cases involving an individual company, individual business, a particular community, a specific set of workers? So that's the... Ongoing work that I'm engaged in now.
0: What are some of the day to day challenges for you? The times when you think, man, you know, I'm still driven to do this, but man, it's hard. W- w- when does that happen for you?
1: There's no doubt that the greatest challenge is how quickly we need to move. So, the scale of global inequality that confronts us now is enormous. And some days it can feel like even small but meaningful efforts, you know, that that's not enough. We need to move faster and, and we need to move uh, at the systemic level. But, I think the work, what keeps me going, is that the work I'm involved in is doing both. Um, It's trying to drive that UN standard into national laws, into regional regulation, but it's also involved, uh, also about being involved in very specific cases, very specific conversations where we're trying to help stakeholders move forward, find a resolution, find remedy for people who have been impacted. on a very practical note, there's no doubt that uh, trying to work on global conversations uh, happening on different time zones while being based in Australia can, uh, can be difficult, but that's really uh, a very small complaint because, honestly, being able to work on these issues from here uh, is a gift. So that's something I, I feel grateful to be able to do.
0: Rachel, what does it mean to you to be recognised as part of these Global Australian Awards in the social impact category?
1: It's humbling because there are so many Australians uh, who are involved in incredible um, human rights and social change work, not just here at home, but also abroad. I think Aussies really punch above our weight, particularly when it comes to human rights work internationally, and we're recognised for that. So um, it's very meaningful given that I, I know how many great colleagues there are also doing this kind of work.
0: And what advice would you give to someone in, let's say, high school or university, similar to yourself with that passion to do something in this space? What advice would you give to them when they're early in their career?
1: That the exact path that you take, plotting it out, following it perfectly, making sure everything seems logical and predictable and can be explained uh, that's much less important than really knowing what it is that you want to change, knowing what it is that you want to contribute to and finding a way, whatever that way might be, uh, to do that.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. For more on global Australian game changes over the last decade, please go to our website, advance.org.